covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. And we do welcome you in to another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. Man, it's great to have you with us as uh, this is our NLDS recap edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. We are recording this late on Sunday night after just hours earlier, the Brewers complete a three-game series sweep of the Colorado Rockies to advance to the National League Championship Series. Our normal housekeeping items, let's get rid of them or take care of them, however you want to say here at the beginning of the program. Uh, If you listen on Apple Podcasts and can leave a ranking and a review and can subscribe to the podcast, that's fantastic. Uh, If you need to get in contact with me, best way to do so is on Twitter, at Matt Pauly on air. You can also drop me an email, matt.pauly at wtmj.com. I don't know if it always sounds like it, but uh, generally there is some planning that goes into this podcast. This week, I'll be honest with you, not a ton of planning. Uh, After the Brewers wrapped up the win against the Rockies, I was hosting the post-game show on WTMJ. We went, we had a marathon show. We went all the way till uh, 10 o'clock at night. I do this podcast out of my home studio. Sometimes I do it out of the WTMJ studios. Not that that really matters that much to you, but generally I am uh, recording out of my home studio as I am right now. And uh, yeah, just drove home, thought about the game, thought about uh, how the Brewers got here. And here we are talking Brewers baseball here on the podcast. Uh, Coming up, we are going to have Brad Ford. Now, generally, we have Brad on to talk minor league stuff because, man, he's good. He's really good. Uh, You want to talk about guys out there who cover the minor leagues as uh, as well as anybody. Uh, He's right there. So it's almost sometimes not fair to him that he's been, I don't know if typecast is the right word, but we kind of throw him into that minor league segment a whole lot during the course of the season, and he's so good at it. But sometimes uh, we don't talk to him about the big league stuff quite as much. So uh, we're going to talk to him about the big league stuff. No minor league uh, conversation in this podcast today because there are bigger things to uh, talk about uh, literally by definition. So Brad Ford from Brew Crew Ball, he is set to join us coming up in just a little while. Uh, Brewers advance to the NLCS. They will take on either the Dodgers or the Braves. I expect it to be the Dodgers. Dodgers lead the series two games to one after the Braves were able to stave off elimination with a win on Sunday evening. Game four of that series will be in Atlanta on Monday. You might be listening to this podcast by the time that's over. And if they were to need a game five, it will be in Los Angeles on, what, Wednesday? Is that right? Yeah, they play Monday, game four, off Tuesday. Wednesday would be the game five. What a what an unbelievable run the Brewers have been on. And quite quite honestly and quite simply and and obviously you look at the fact that they've won 11 games in a row and that that says a lot but this isn't your normal 11 game winning streak maybe there is no such thing as a normal 11 game winning streak but you want to talk about a winning streak and all the different things that they had to accomplish inside of that winning streak to get to to where they're at. It really is remarkable. That is the word that I've probably used almost more often than than any other word um, as we've uh, as we've watched this team recently. 
But the 11-game winning streak, going back to the final game against Pittsburgh, a Pittsburgh team that had had the Brewers' number all season long, and the Brewers win that final game against Pittsburgh to take two of three. And don't tell me that that was not a key, huge, important series win after they had had so many struggles against Pittsburgh over the course of the regular season. And then going into St. Louis against a Cardinals team that was playing really well after the managerial change had fallen off just a bit, but the Cardinals were still alive. The Cardinals with a really good series against the Brewers right there, there's a possibility they could have caught the Brewers and they could have put the Brewers into the second wild card position. And instead the Cardinals sweep, or excuse me, the Brewers sweep the Cardinals. And while they don't mathematically knock out St. Louis at that point, they essentially knock out St. Louis at that point. And then you go into that Detroit series, the final weekend in Detroit, taking leads in each of the first two games and the Brewers fighting back to win each of those games by a 6-5 score where they're able to secure the top wild card. And then they're able to secure at least a game 163 against the Cubs. And then they go into Chicago and they defeat the Cubs this past Monday. Feels like a year ago that that game took place in Chicago. And they win that game 3-1. And with that, they send the Cubs to the wild card game and the Brewers clinch the most wins in the National League at, uh, at 96. And they become the number one overall seed. And then they go into the postseason. And they're able to find a way to sweep the Colorado Rockies in a three-game series or in a five-game series, but sweep them in in three straight games. It's it's a remarkable eleven-game winning streak. And for all the talk that I've heard, you know, I've been around the Brewers uh, at the at the major league level. This is my third year doing this. Uh, overall, I've been around the Brewers organization for four years because I spent one year around their AAA team in Colorado Springs before I came to uh, Milwaukee. And I have heard it from Brewers fans over and over and over that this is a snake-bit franchise, that this is a franchise that uh, can't handle success, that this is a franchise that in the second half of the season when they're having good years, they're always going to fall apart. And they have done anything but. They have done anything but. They have thrived. And really, we look back at the last two seasons. Last year, they were, they were darn good in the final month of the season. I know they lost some games right at the end of the year. Uh, the second-to-last game, obviously, that game against the Cardinals. I'm not trying to bring up a bad memory when we should be talking about uh, nothing but good stuff. But, but my point being is the, their season last year and their final month of the season last year, it was good. It was fine. They went... Uh, they were 15 and 12 in September and 1 and 0 in October. So 16 and 12 uh, between September and you know just that one game in October. We've seen this team play good baseball in the final month of the season. Now last year is nothing compared to this year and what they've been able to do. And I think the thing that has stuck out to me, and I'm going to talk with Brad Ford about this in just a few minutes here on the podcast. The thing that really sticks out to me is that David Stearns, along with Matt Arnold, along with Craig Council, but David Stearns really had a vision for the way this team was going to be built and the way this team was going to be constructed. 
And people outside of the organization didn't understand it. If you were watching, say, like an MLB network uh, on the day of the July 31st trade deadline, we're coming up on the deadline. I think it's 3 o'clock Central, if I remember correctly. Coming up on that deadline, and all those MLB network analysts were sitting there saying, I don't know what the Brewers are doing. They got to go get a pitcher. They got to find somebody. There's got to be a move that comes in. They're going to get a pitcher. And then they don't. And then they put in that waiver claim for Matt Harvey and all those same people. Oh, they got to finish this deal. They got to find a way. Matt Harvey's get, they get, you know, he, he's got to be a brewer. And he wasn't. And they do go get Gio Gonzalez. And I thought Gio Gonzalez was pretty good for the Brewers in the regular season. He doesn't appear uh, in the divisional series. I think that was largely because of the Rockies and how good they were against left-handers, so they were trying to avoid left-handers. I would guess that we'll see Gio Gonzalez start a game against either the Dodgers or the Braves. Maybe I'm wrong on that. I've been wrong on a lot of stuff here recently as the Brewers have constructed their roster and put things together, and that's fine. They're they're looking at things. You know, They're using their analytics and making the best decisions that they feel fit the, the moment, and good on them. But going back to what I was talking about a moment ago, there, how many people out there, and you know what, you're probably one of them, you might be one of them, you're listening to this podcast because there were people out there who were incredibly frustrated that this team would go get a Mike Moustakis, not because Moustakis wasn't somebody that they didn't think fit on this team, but it was the, the, the wide-ranging implication of a Mike Moustakis. The fact that Travis Shaw was now going to move from third to second base, and he was going to play second base where... He had never played before. I heard from people, may have heard from you, heard from people. That's never going to work. They're, how, how dare, how dare they devalue defense so much just to get an extra bat in the lineup. That's going to hurt them. They're going to lose a game down the stretch because of the defense. Those were the things I was hearing. And not that those were... Like, I understood where people were coming from that. I guess the way I'm kind of talking right now, I almost sound like I'm mocking that. I'm really not trying to because there, there was that wasn't, that wasn't a false deal. I understand somebody being worried about putting somebody defensively in a position that they'd never played before. Like, there's some, there's some logic there. I'm not running away from that. But it worked out fine. Travis Shaw, I mean, he's not going to win a gold glove at second base. But he made the plays he was supposed to make, plus a few more. He was just barely an above-average second baseman. Made all the plays he should have made, and then he made just a few more beyond that. Made some pretty nice plays here and there. Did not embarrass himself at second base whatsoever. So much so that when that trade was made, my thought process was, okay, what's going to happen here is this is a down-the-stretch sort of deal. Moustakis is going to go sign with another team in the offseason. They're going to move Shaw back to third. You've got Scope under contract for another season. They're asking Travis Shaw to play second base down the home stretch of the season, and everything will go back later. I bet you can find me saying that sort of thing in one of the previous podcasts because that was my belief. I'll back off that a little bit. 
I don't know if they're going to be able to afford to bring a Mike Moustakis back. He's got a $15 million mutual option for next year, $14 million buyout. I don't think that's a crazy number for a Mike Moustakis. I like the way he fits in with the organization. But where a month ago or two months ago, however long ago it was, I was thinking the Travis Schott second base deal can be something they do for two months and then go back to the way it was beforehand. I'm sitting here thinking, you know what? If you can get Moustakis back next year and Travis Shaw's your everyday second baseman, I'm good with that. That works. So I guess the point, I'm kind of rambling on at this point, and I realize I'm doing that. The point is, everything's working. They just went through a divisional series against a fantastic offensive club in the Colorado Rockies, playing two games at Miller Park, which I think is an offensive ballpark, even when the roof is closed, and then going to Coors Field, which is probably the, the, the most offensive ballpark of any ballpark in Major League Baseball. And they allowed the Rockies to score two total runs. They allowed the Rockies to score in only one inning. The Rockies, for their first time in their history, were shut out in back-to-back games where at least one of those games was played at Coors Field. That's never happened in the history of the Colorado Rockies organization. That's what these pitchers did. And they went on a program, and they went on a system and a plan put together by David Stearns, Matt Arnold, Craig, uh, Craig, uh, Craig Council, excuse me, where they're sitting there saying, we think we can do it this way. We think it's going to work. And it ended up working. And I, I really, I, I've harped on this a lot lately, and I'll, I'll finish off with this for now because we have a conversation with Brad Ford in just a moment. When, when moves would be made during the regular season, when they would go to a certain bull, bullpen pitcher, and maybe that pitcher wouldn't work out, or where they would go to a pinch hitter, and that pinch hitter wouldn't work out. There would be, and I think it was from a vocal minority, but there would be a group of people that would say, Craig Council doesn't manage, know how to manage a bullpen. Craig Council is a bad manager. What are they doing? Yada, yada, yada. I think, I think something that needs to be understood, and I think I'm right on this. I, I, I know I'm right on this. The Brewers, from an analytic standpoint, from a numbers standpoint, They're going to put players in the best position to succeed. They don't make bad decisions. The decision-making inside of this organization is incredibly sound. They make good decisions. Do all good decisions work out? No, they don't. So when that bullpen pitcher is brought in and gives up runs, I don't think the correct response is, that's a bad decision by Craig Council. The response is, that guy pitching is a human being, and he didn't come through in this game. But he was put in the position to succeed. This organization is as good as any organization out there at putting players in position to succeed. And we have seen that from the moment Craig Council got here. One of the things that I think we see a lot, especially with young pitchers, young starting pitchers, maybe, and this was before what they've done here recently with all the bullpenning, 
but something we would see at times with the, whether it was a young pitcher or maybe it was a starter who's been struggling a bit. Maybe they're rolling through five innings and they're about to to get through, you know, go to that third time through the order where the numbers, the analytics tell you, okay, maybe it's not going to go as well. I think Craig Council is really good at pulling a guy a little bit early so he can walk off that mound, walk into the dugout, walk back into the clubhouse feeling good about his day. So it's kind of a twofold thing. They put guys in position to succeed in the positions they put them in, and even when they remove them sometimes, they remove them to make sure that the day continues to be a successful one. So that's my rant on what has led to where we're at right now. We'll see uh, We'll see what's going to happen. But, man, this has been fun. I hope you've been able to enjoy it. If you haven't been able to enjoy it as a Brewers fan, I don't know what's going on with you. There's something wrong uh, because this has been quite the run for the Brewers as they sweep a very good Rockies team three games to none. This is what we got coming up on the program. We will have our uh, social media conversation with Brad Ford from Brew Crew Ball. That's coming up in just moments. And uh, we will, uh, that's going to be pretty much the bulk of the podcast. We'll, uh, we'll wrap things up coming up in just a bit after that as well. But as mentioned, let's get to the social media conversation. After every Brewers game, signing an announcement, bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take. Now we bring them all together. It's the Social Media Roundtable, and it starts now. Brewers x Trains, the podcast is powered by WTMJ Mobile. It is time for a social media conversation. My name is Matt Pauley. Let's, uh, I wanted to do this because th- this is a pretty special podcast because the Brewers have just won a playoff series. And I'm bringing on a guy right now who we have on the podcast a lot, but because he's so good at the minor league stuff, sometimes he gets uh, kind of cornered into the minor league market where we talk a lot of minor league stuff and we don't talk as much big league stuff. So because he is so... Uh, courteous with his time and spent so much time talking about the minor league stuff. I definitely wanted to get him on this podcast today. His name is uh, Brad Ford. You can follow him on Twitter at Brew Crew Blue. You can read him on Brew Crew Ball. Hello, Brad. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. How are you, Matt? I am good. And let's kind of set the scene here. And this is um, we are talking at 10:42 p.m. on Sunday night. Now, I did the Brewers Extra Innings postgame show on WTMJ till 10 p.m., and I record the podcast actually from my home studio, not from the WTMJ studios. So as soon as I got done with that, I hurried home from uh, from Capitol Drive to uh, town of Brookfield where I live, and uh, I haven't had much time to kind of like breathe yet after uh, the Brewers win 6-0. They, they sweep the series from the Rockies 3-0, so I don't know how disjointed this conversation is going to sound. There's been very little planning and all that, but I say all that to say this. This is a pretty cool day for Brewers fans. Yeah, it's really fantastic. Um, I think it gives a lot of confidence to the fans who maybe weren't sure how they were going to perform, especially coming to September. You're falling in the playoff race. Um, the team's not performing well, aside from Christian Yelich. Um, you're having some struggles. It's about when they start to heat up, but still not a lot of confidence in the team. And then all of a sudden, the switch flips in September, and it hasn't been turned off through now. They come into the postseason, they dominate the Cubs, and then they dominate the Rockies. And here we are. They've given up three runs since 
Sunday of last week. So in the last five games, 46 innings, they've given up three runs, played dominant ball, um, and really have gotten it done um, in a way I think a lot of people haven't expected to. I don't want to make this like a, a told you so sort of deal, but when when the Brewers went and got Mike Moustakis, the there were so many people out there all oh, Brewers are going to lose some games late in the season because of the defense at second base when the Brewers do not acquire a quote-unquote frontline starter uh, at that deadline. Ah, the Brewers can't win anything of significance. They didn't go get out, go get pitching. I still remember watching MLB Network the day of the July 31st deadline where people were saying, oh, you know, there was so much criticism towards the Brewers for not getting a starter. And then there was this assumption that Matt Harvey was going to end up with the Brewers when they put in the waiver claim on him, and then that expires and nothing happened. I'm not saying... Every move is perfect. Obviously, they haven't gotten out of Jonathan's scope what they would like to get out of uh, out of Jonathan's scope. But my goodness, the 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 basic framework of what David Stearns has put together with a a very flexible pitching staff and also a very flexible position player group, where you put guys at different positions, all the worries that so many people, you know, all the chicken littles had uh, going into both deadlines really my goodness it's been really incredible to see how almost every single move has worked right and you look at everything from the beginning of the season until now and how much of a role it played in this series specifically um you look at chasin you know the starter signed in the offseason who ended up being one of the best starters of all the free agents signed and at one of the cheapest contracts of the starters who signed you have Wade Miley, who signed a minor league deal. And if you listen to Bob Costas, um, you know, started the year in double A. Uh, you have Joaquin Soria, who, uh, you know, had almost three great innings, uh, a midseason acquisition that he runs out and gets. And those three pitchers alone played such a huge part in this. And I think everyone can attest that when the Brewers go out and get those guys, no one's in awe, no one's shocked, no one's impressed. And here they are, and none of them allowed a run. Only one pitcher, and it was the pitcher no one would have guessed would allow runs, allowed runs in the postseason. Um, And they were crucial during that final stretch in getting them into this position where they're the best team in the National League and they have home field advantage throughout. That's that's another thing. And winning that game against the Cubs in game 163, now that creates a a situation where – you have the home field against either the Dodgers or the Braves, whoever it ends up being, and that you know they could be in this exact same situation had they lost that game to the Cubs, but then they'd be going into this next series in a position where they didn't have home field advantage as one of the best home teams in all of the National League. What a difference that makes. Yeah, substantially. I mean, they designed their lineup around Miller Park, too. You look at that left-handed lineup and how it takes advantage of the short porch and right field. Uh, It's that familiarity and that home crowd as well. You know that the players have talked about how impactful that crowd has been for them in the moments where they've needed the most and how much having that support means to each of them individually. Granted, I feel like players have to say that to an extent, but I also feel they're, they're not being disingenuine when they say it. Uh, I mean, it has being at Miller park and having that opportunity to have the first two games go on the road and then come back. And if you need to finish it out, that's huge for them. 
And I think it really gives them one of the best advantages going in where once they had home field advantage, there was no one in the National League who really scared me. The Dodgers can certainly beat them. The Braves can beat them. Anyone can win in the playoffs. We've seen that happen recently in the playoffs many times. But in terms of confidence, once they had that locked up, it just felt like this is their chance. This is their time to go out and do something. People have thrown around the term team of destiny, and I don't really like that because I actually think it kind of takes something away from the team because you you make your own destiny. This is a real, this is a good baseball team with good baseball players on it. That's why they're that's why they're playing well. But you look at you know the, the clincher where there's a the pitcher just drops the ball on the mound. Balk. Uh, a moment later, there's a wild pitch, and all of a sudden, in a ballpark like at Coors Field, where a two nothing lead is nothing, it doubles to four nothing in the matter of seconds from two mistakes made by the Rockies. That you, you get that team of destiny feeling at, at, on, in those kind of moments. Right. And you look at all the mistakes they benefited in, in the stretch and in the playoffs period. I mean, there's been plenty of wild pitches, wild pitches that cleared the bases that helped them put them in a position to end up coming back and taking the division. Um, there's been plenty of blunders that have kind of led them down this path where it does feel it's weird because I think all Brewers fans can attest is we felt like this has been happening to every other team. We watched it happen to the Giants. The Giants were a team on paper who I don't think anyone would have argued deserved to win the amount of World Series that they did, but they were able to because they ended up having some luck behind them. The Cardinals, how many times have we watched the Cardinals win on quote-unquote devil magic where hmm. really felt like they were just getting situations to go their way for no reason? Um, and now, after years and years of feeling like it just never happens that way for us, it's actually happening that way. Like the ball's actually going our way. The you know fifty fifty chances where something might go right for one team, it's actually happening to the Brewers, and it's fantastic. I like you like don't really like the team of destiny thing. I think it's just sometimes one team happens to be the ultimate benefactor in those airs. And this time it's the Brewers. And like I said, it's felt like it's something that hasn't ever happened. And it's about time uh, because it's been frustrating watching, especially division opponents have that luck and come through and have huge situations while we just sat and it felt like everything difficult was happening to us. One year does not cancel out years and years of uh, of a lot of disappointment. But I can't tell you, Brad, how many times I got it on the text message. I took calls on the post-game show. People tweeted at me, same old Brewers. They're going to fall apart in the second half. You know, you, you've heard it. Does, oh, yeah. Does this run that the Brewers are, are went on at the end of the regular season, into the postseason, how much does this – affect a Brewers fan base where even there's been times in some Brewers playoff runs where they kind of limped into the postseason. There's no limping going on right now. How much does this run that we're talking about recently impact, change in a positive manner the feelings that Brewers have in terms of uh, the team as a second-half club? Unfortunately, none. You'd figure it would teach a lot of fans that you know it's a new regime it's different players it's not those same old players that you're talking about in that 2008 to 2015 era uh, where there was a lot of failure in the second half a lot of 
you know, just the team not pulling through and not being able to get there, some key injuries that keep them from succeeding. Um, it should teach them that it's a new regime and that they're able of competing that. But if they go out and in the NLCS get swept in four games, it's going to be the same old reaction. And that's just, in my opinion, the realistic take behind it is they'll be like, oh, look, we got excited for nothing just for the same thing to happen. When really, how many of us were saying in April that we would be thrilled with a wild card appearance? And here they are in the NLCS, four wins away from the World Series for the second time in my generation um, since 1983, they haven't had this good of an opportunity. Um, it's fantastic and you should enjoy it and you should learn that it's a new regime. It's new players and those same old rules don't apply when you've completely rewritten the roster and how things are shaped. I think baseball is the one sport where you liking the guy you play alongside matters. And I think it matters because there's 162 games and you're living with these guys essentially with how much time you spend in the clubhouse. And if you, you know, the monotony of the season, you got to have fun. You got to enjoy the person next to you. You don't have to be best friends with the person next to you. I think the Brewers, for the most part, are pretty friendly with each other and spend time with each other. But you got to respect, you got to care for. And we've seen Craig Council really create a culture where they value. The, the the relational aspect of the entire roster. The, it, it's kind of odd because the Brewers are so analytics-driven, but then there's nothing analytical about liking your teammate, yet it's those two things put together that seemingly has resulted in this very special club. Well, I think that's... It's weird because if you think about it, it can be somewhat analytical in some ways. Um, I mean, you look at just how the studies that have been done on work productivity and how someone's productivity increases drastically when they're working in a place where they actually enjoy being there. Um, I think that's just what plays into it. They know how important it is. I mean, we've seen how many teams where, you know, the, uh, how many times has San Diego, it feels like, gone out made a few huge moves to get a bunch of superstars together. And it looks like they're on the cusp of doing something special. They have all these big names, but they can't play together. They, you hear them arguing with each other in the media. You can see the tension on the field, and their production starts to drop. And then all of a sudden, they go somewhere else, and they start playing like what you anticipated before. Or, you know, you go back to a place where you were comfortable, a Jeremy Jeffers situation where he comes into a place where he's comfortable and plays substantially better because of it. Um, I, I feel like they are aware of that and the importance of that. And I mean, especially a ball player like Craig council, who's played on so many different teams, so many different rosters, even when he played six years for the brewers, he played with so many different groups. I feel like he probably has that knowledge of, you know, the clubs I played with that had success really gelled together. And we don't want to bring anyone in who would really screw that up or even remove clubhouse leaders. Um, so I feel like they do understand how valuable it is, but it's one of those things where you look at some of the bigger clubs and the tensions and how they start to fall apart. And you can see the team's success start to fade because of it. As soon as they start that finger po pointing and having issues internally, uh, th that level of happiness just 
dwindles away and there they are they're not as productive anymore thankfully we have a group of guys who seems to take in everyone with open arms and as long as you're willing to accept them back with open arms you're going to have a good time and they're going to do everything they can to make you feel at home I'm not trying to discount the Cubs season because the Cubs had a really nice season. They ended up with the second-best record in the National League. They were one win away from being where the Brewers were at in terms of having the best record in the National League and having a home field advantage throughout. So clearly the Cubs had a very good season. But I feel like it. I don't, I don't watch the Cubs as, as closely as I watch the Brewers, obviously, seeing every single Brewers game. But there was this stuff late with the Cubs where there just seemed to be some some discord and it didn't for, for lack of a better analogy you know while the brewers were always singing off that same same song sheet the cubs seemingly were not late and i yeah injuries and other things certainly had an impact on why the cubs were one and done in the postseason but it certainly seemed like the copaceticness and i don't know if that's a word but i'm going with it the copaceticness with the cubs was absolutely not equal to what the brewers had late no, and I definitely was getting that feeling, too. Um, you look at some of the things that were said in the media and some of the things they were dealing with. They were dealing with, uh, you know, the Addison Russell uh, drama that was leaking back into the clubhouse from last year. Uh, you listen to Javier Baez talk into the media or to the media. And when he's sitting there and saying, we're the best, they know we're the best, whatever we don't like, he's saying it with this edge, like this disgust and not like with the confidence when you hear the Brewers talk and they, you know, you have Aguilar out there saying they know they got problems with us. He's saying it with this edge, this cockiness, this pep. And in the when you see them in the media, they have this defensive edge, this really like we're going to scrap out of this. We're going to power through this because we have to, because we're the Cubs. But at the same time, everything behind that, all the body language tone and just what they were saying represented this anger. And it's not the Cubs that we saw win the world series where they were elated to be finding the success. They had clubhouse champions to rally around and David, um, what's the old man catcher's name? David I Ross. Say Dave. Yeah. Yes, I want to say David Wells. I was like, nope, that is definitely not the right guy. So you have those figures to rally around. And it really just didn't feel like anyone was cheering on. I mean, their leader in the often on the field started to slip in September. So there's no one you can point to to say really carry the situation. Chris Bryant had an awful season, and I'm sure a lot of teammates felt like he wasn't carrying his burden. Um, I'm sure there's a bunch of edge in that, especially when you had these huge expectations and fair expectations set for a lot of their players. Um, and when they're not achieving it and helping you get there, I can't imagine how that wouldn't lead to a ton of frustration inside the locker room. But even like the jabs they're taking in the media, you know, Cole Hamill saying, oh, it's not a it's not a rivalry. Um, it kind of felt like they were trying to bring them down rather than just outplay them. So, like, everything you saw from them had this negative feel, and I felt like that was bleeding out from the clubhouse culture. You mentioned David Ross, and I remember when, when the team acquired Eric Kratz, it was either a text message or a phone call to Brewers X-Journings. Somebody said, is this guy going to be the Brewers version of David Ross? And I remember immediately dismissing it because Ross had a, a long-time major league career, known as being a leader for a long time, had a, had a really good major league pedigree, 
And Kratz, no disrespect, meant he had been nothing more than a journeyman guy, never appeared in the postseason, you know, got a game here, a game there at the major league level, mostly been a minor league kind of guy. And he was just, you know, the it seemed like his only qualifier when they first signed him was, okay, this guy can be better than Jet Bandy. Like, I wasn't even sure if Kratz would stick around very long because if they found somebody else, you know, it seemed very Band-Aid-ish. And... Kratz came in. Turns out he might be the best framing catcher in all of Major League Baseball. Uh, he comes up with big hits. He's become a huge presence in a clubhouse, and that's saying something because that's a clubhouse with a lot of good leaders already in it. Yet, you know, you know, cream rising or whatever cliche you want to use, uh, he is he has really risen to the top and and been a big leader. Mike Mustakis telling Fox Sports Wisconsin, you know, he's he's the backbone of the team. It's it's really been both incredible and fun to watch the importance of an Eric Kratz of all people to uh, to this Brewers team. Yeah, uh, and it's like you said, he was this quad A player who comes in at 38. He's done nothing of substance in his comparatively for what a player people are looking for for a midseason acquisition to come in and take on a rule where you're playing as many games as he ended up playing a lot of people would expect you know real muto or real grandal or any of these big name acquisitions and i know a lot of people thought they were going to still try and upgrade from kratz and kratz was going to be this defensive filler then out of nowhere, he becomes a success story, kind of Eric Sogard is last year, um, where he actually, you know, hits offensively well, all things considered, out of expectation, plays great defense, as you mentioned. And now here he is in the postseason going wild, you know, even showing shock when he has success. <laughs> um, and it's something where I think as people see that him have true joy and after putting in all the work for all these years and only having two seasons before this where he passed or three seasons, sorry, before this, where he passed 100 plate appearances and now seeing him like play regularly and just have a ton of fun doing it, trying to work well with his pitching staff to, I'm sure, maintain his spot on the roster. I think it's hard to not find joy in that and have fun with him. And. I think anyone who would fight to achieve their dream to the age of 38 in a sport or in a field where that's considered to be ancient um, probably is one of the best workers out there and would command a lot of respect just from his day-to-day -day actions. Uh, it's great that he's been someone to rally around and someone for the team to cheer on. Um, thankfully, I feel like the clubhouse still has a lot of those level-headed leaders who are easy to rally around, who don't really... I like the people who don't lead necessarily by adrenaline, who but lead more by, like, let's just go out there and have the best time we can have. And I feel like you have that in Lorenzo Cain and Christian Yelich, and then you have Kratz, who I feel more leads by, like, hey, guys, we go put it in the work, it'll pay off. Look at me. It paid off. Eventually, someone found me, someone made something out of me, and... Let's go do this. Um, so it's been a lot of fun to watch, and it's easy to see when you see like everything he dedicates into his craft, 
why the team can get behind him. He had the line in the press conference, the line of the uh, of anything in the entire NLDS, because he becomes the first guy since 1905 to make his postseason debut at uh, age 38 or older. And the last guy happened in 1905. I can't remember that guy's name off the top of my head right now. But when somebody asked him about him, he immediately says, yeah, I played with that guy in rookie ball, which was just a hilarious line. So he's he's funny, too. Like if for people who have maybe not heard him, uh, he's he's humble. He's funny. I, I enjoy talking. Talking to him, he's one of those guys that looks you in the eye, listens to your question, answers it very thoughtfully. I think sometimes in the media we we look at that, and, you know, we really appreciate it because our jobs are sometimes dependent upon getting good quotes from guys, and you never have a hard time getting a good quote from an Eric Kratz, who also is never. There's never going to be a time where he is asked to do a media availability and box at it. Uh, he just he he jumps at it. It's really so. It's it, there's a bunch of guys. You know, I'm happy for him. I'm happy for a Keon Broxton who hit a home run. There's just a, there's a bunch of guys across the board. I'm happy for a, a Jeremy Jeffress. You know, for whatever's been going on with him over the past uh, couple weeks, he's been able to uh, find some success. I'm happy for Orlando Arcia who is up and down uh, during during the season. It's there's so many guys that it's easy to pull for on this team and they're having success uh, Corey Knable's another guy who, who you know wasn't going so well got sent to AAA I, I think you're going to agree with me on all this it's cool to see all these guys who have either had adversity this year or have had adversity prior in their careers and at the end of the day they're they're helping this team to a sweep in the NLDS an appearance in the NLCS and they're big time contributors and it's pretty cool yeah absolutely um Real quick, getting back to Kratz even, I wanted to say one thing is he reminds me of Euchre and the thing that makes Euchre lovable and approachable is the first person who's going to demean Euchre is Euchre. Like he'll be the first one to say like, oh, I screwed up. I'm an idiot. I couldn't hit this. I couldn't swing at that. And that's what I hear a lot about like when people meet him is like he's so approachable because he just wants to tear himself apart. And Kratz feels like that. Getting back to what you said, like it's all these lovable characters who... I mean, like you even look at Curtis Granderson, an August 31st acquisition. He's played in two World Series, had a possibly Hall of Fame career. I think it's arguable and you could say that Um, he hasn't had the greatest success, probably Hall of very, very good career um, because he hasn't had quite the single season campaigns. But either way, he's been a staple in the league for how long? Um, he, you know, has been to the World Series two times, come to the, this almost realization. Now at 37, here he is. And he has another chance. He's been able to help the team contribute. He's another one of those people who you can see the positive energy when he's on the field. It's fantastic. There's no shortage. I mean, Christian Yelich is the guy I feel like in sports, every dad wants their kid to be when they're talking about it. Uh, and they're like, act like you've been there before. I mean, the guy's embarrassed about showboating or celebrating like even when he finished his cycle all you got was a fist pump and then he went back to the like oh got to do my job face um i mean there's there's no i feel like bad guy um where even the fans aren't necessarily really fully behind him they'll enjoy having him work but there's like that person you don't want to see out there everyone you see out there you want to find success i mean wade miley finally living up to his early reputation from his pro career when he came in as this great prospect and never was able to capitalize it all of a sudden comes to Milwaukee 
has works with Derek Johnson, has this revelation in terms of his ability, and now is putting together the best season of his career and pitching almost five innings of shutout ball in the playoffs. Um, I mean, how can't you root for stories like that? There's just a t- an abundance of great stories. Um, it's really all around enjoyable and it'll be interesting because I feel like there's going to be a whole new crop of enjoyable stories in the NLCS as they change the roster and we get some of the brewers who didn't make it to this one. It's yeah, it's just a really fun team and I have trouble understanding why anyone wouldn't get behind it at like, because there's just so many of these faces and so many of these stories where it's people who fought up and down. Uh, you look at Gara, we all know his story very, very well. A guy who had to fight through indie ball and then finally found success after a waiver claim with the Brewers. Um, I mean, there, yeah, there's no shortage between rookies dominating like Corbin Burns and being able to be people who are pillars of stability for their team. And probably was the pitcher of the series for in the NLDS to the old guys when you talk about Curtis Granderson and Eric Kratz. Just a couple more things for uh, Brad Ford before we let him go here on Brewers Extra the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Yeah, I've, maybe I'm showing my uh, a lack of knowledge or something here, but it's funny you mentioned Curtis Granderson and you know Hall of Very Good. When they acquired him, in my mind I went, yeah, you know what, he's a fringe Hall of Famer. And then I went and looked at his player comps, and some of the names that are uh, that are on his comps, uh, Aron Gant, Bobby Bonds, Mike Cameron, Jose Bautista, uh, Reggie Sanders, Jack Clark, a couple of uh, former Brewers, Jeremy Burnett, and, and Greg Vaughn on there. And I'll be honest with you, Brad, I was kind of surprised with those player comps because, quite honestly, I think of Curtis Granderson's career, and I do think of a guy who is a, hall, a fringe Hall of Famer, and then you see those comps, and those guys aren't Hall of Famers. Right. And I feel like he's just been so close to success all his career and been a noteworthy name because of the teams he's played on that he you almost build up his career in your mind. But then when you go and look at it, you see like, oh, he's had his 300 seasons. He's had his 30 home run seasons, 40 home run seasons. Um, but he's never put together that MVP season that I feel Hall of Famers need to have consistently. Uh, He's been a fantastic fielder for most of his career uh, and a reliable bat, but he's never done so much exceptionally well over a consistent stretch of time that I feel like that's what holds him back. Um, But he's one of those names, like, like I just said, he's been connected to so many teams you know, the, the Tigers, when they were great, when they had Verlander in his prime, when you're looking at Max Scherzer and they're going to the World Series after they acquire Miggy and they're having these great runs. Um, and then he goes to the Yankees and has all the six, or a ton of success with them, makes the ALCS, I think, three times, maybe two. Um, and then as a part of that Mets team that goes to the World Series, um, and he always has been this guy who's contracted big money, big attention in the offseason. So I feel like he's just always had that spotlight shone on him. But then when you actually sit down and look what he's accomplished, it's not quite as great as you remember. But he always did something very good each and every year. But he never had like those seasons where you hit 36 home runs and 326 um, 
those have just seemed to avoid him. And he doesn't really have the award accolades either that normally go along supporting a Hall of Fame career. All right, as we do look at the roster for the NLCS, and it will depend on Braves or Dodgers. The Dodgers lead the series 2-1 as we're talking on Sunday night. There is going to be a game four on Monday. In my mind, players who are currently on the 25-man playoff roster that could be uh, at risk of not being on the next roster would include a Keon Broxton, a Jonathan Scope, maybe a Freddie Peralta would be uh, on there as well. I feel like players not on the roster who could get in. Uh, and Xavier Cedeno, I almost expect him to end up on the roster. Maybe uh, maybe a Dan Jennings could end up on the roster. A Zach Davies if they decide to go with a, with another pitcher. Those are kind of the six names that I come up and I'm not, I'm not predicting a three for three. I'm just kind of throwing out names that could possibly come off, could possibly come on. Do you have any should I be taking any of those names off do you have any other names that you would add that uh, will probably be in consideration for either being on or off no I think you're right uh I mean we knew going in when we looked at the Rocky success that they have tremendous success against left-handed pitchers so unless you're talking about these elite pitchers like Josh Hader it doesn't make sense to carry a bunch of left-handers on your or in your bullpen so they went right-handed heavy and then they went with what I feel like was more of this DH mentality where they knew one of the games was going to be a bullpen game so they wanted to have more batters available. And I just feel like this time around, you're not really going to have that. Uh, Domingo Santana is another name that who made this current roster where I don't really see them carrying the amount of outfielders they ended up having in this one. Um, I think you're at least seeing one bat traded out for one pitcher. Um, Cedeno obviously makes a ton of sense. I think for any of the, or either the Braves or the Dodgers who ever comes out with that and it really looks like it's going to be the Dodgers despite a very strong showing from the Braves today um so I really think you're going to see a bullpen uh switch but I think you still want to keep those long inning guys in because I believe there will be another bullpen game uh so you're looking at more of those Guerra Peralta types that can go three innings maybe Woodruff get us another start and then you pair him with uh, one of those two guys and say Cor- Corbin Burns for uh, those situations where you need him to go a couple late innings if someone only goes five. Um, but I definitely just cannot imagine them carrying as many hitters as they did for the NLDS. But if the Brewers have taught us one thing throughout this entire season, you can never guess what they're going to do. They get Mike Moustakas, move Travis Shaw over. Oh, they're done getting infielders and bats. Now they're going to focus on pitchers. At the deadline, scope comes in. Uh, you think that they're going to come in and have a few traditional starters. Nope, they go with a bullpen game for the very first game of the NLDS. And, you know, chalk everyone, in my opinion, because I think after Chessine went, some of the Brewers fans kind of expected that. But I don't feel like a lot of people following the Brewers, uh, once they made the playoffs, we're expecting that type of decision. Uh, this is a team where you never really know what the organization's going to do. So uh, maybe they take three more bats off and they end up doing 14 pitchers for the postseason. Honestly, nothing would surprise me at this point. Yeah, it's look, I, it's my job to like talk about the team and, and know what I'm talking about. And I, I'd like to think I'm, I'm okay at my job at the very least. And, I was I was as far off and as far wrong as I could be on those roster predictions. I said multiple times, 
you know, a lot of people were saying, oh, it's going to come down to Keon Broxton or Domingo Santana. And I was like, oh, Keon, there's no, I like Keon a lot. I'm glad he made the roster, you know, retroactively. But going into it, I was like, there's no way that Keon makes this roster. And he did. And it's just, uh, it's funny. It, it is, they look at it very differently. And sometimes I look like I don't know what I'm talking about because they do things in such a different way. And I, I'm fine with that. I'm not worried about uh, being wrong. It happens to all of us. But it is, it's fun. It, it's, for me, it's fun to see how they decide to go about every single decision because i think one of the when you're a team that can that can pay for a huge roster if you're the dodgers if you're the cubs uh, you can you can kind of like skip over some decisions where the brewers don't have the margin of error so the the time and the dedication that they put into every single de- decision that they make using all the analytics, all the information possible, it's really cool because it matters so much. And we saw that play out in the NLDS. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, key bullpen to timing, um, how you're managing, uh, what, how many times through you actually see a hitter as a pitcher all of that comes down to the older decisions and they look deeply into uh, their players success margins and try to put them in situations where they're going to be successful um and because they're looking at things even the most analytical of fans i mean i communicate with people who i think are incredibly intelligent baseball people um who are on the outside looking in but you know really get things right quite a bit um and have a good eye for these things and even the brewers are like making moves that shock them and you know you end up questioning on the outside if this is going to work i think the only i've been right about two things i thought signing chassine was going to be a good idea before they did it um, mainly because someone talked me into getting on that bandwagon, and then I thought Scope wasn't going to be the best trade in the world, and he, he's had his moments. He's definitely had value. I think to say he's been a uh, failure in an acquisition would be um, something that'd be hard to argue, but he certainly hasn't been a game-changer like a Moustakis has been. Um, so, I mean, there's just things they do where they... You can tell they're ahead, and that's fun. It's fun to watch them reinvent the game and change. People are going to be copying what the Brewers do next year. People are going to be trying to take leaders in the organization away for GM candidates. There's, go- And I think that's great to be on top of the world of baseball where you are finding success in a way that people want to emulate. I think it's, that's a fantastic situation to be in and something all fans should enjoy. And, you know, when you get shocked by a decision, try to understand why it happened. And because they've shown us more times than not that it is something that leads to them being successful. Um, So just enjoy that David Stearns, Matt Arnold, um, Craig Council, and everyone who works to make these decisions is, for some reason, substantially further ahead than everyone else is when it comes to baseball. All right, Brad. Good stuff. Uh, of course, folks can uh, can read you over at uh, at Brew Crew Ball. Uh, before we anybody who's listening to this podcast knows all about Brew Crew Ball, but I can't let you go without uh, giving a plug for everything going on over at the website. Yeah, I mean, we always have fun postseason stuff. Now that there's some downtime, we're going to do some more features. Um, Kyle actually just put up a great interview with uh, Luke Barker, who's been having a lot of success in Carolina, but he's a 27 year old undrafted free agent. 
um, who really fought his way through. And hearing his story is fun. It's kind of like an Eric Kratz type story. I really recommend going and finding that and reading it. But uh, now that we're going to have some downtime, we want to keep people reading. So I'll have some recaps uh, looking over each minor league season. Uh, we'll be looking into kind of how the team found success in, until this point. And, of course, we always have full postseason coverage as we move on to these next steps. So uh, check us out. Yeah, I think we have some of the best content you can find out there. Um, I, yeah, it's a great group that I have a lot of fun working with and some of the best minds that I've encountered when it comes to how people think about baseball. And you and I, we're still going to do our full minor league recap. It's going to happen a little later this year than normal. We're going to let this Brewers uh, postseason run wrap up before we get to that. But here, hopefully still uh, a few weeks away from starting that. Uh, but look forward to that. That'll probably be the next time we have you on. Look forward to uh, going back through the minor league seasons uh, with you coming up in just a while. Yeah, I can't wait. That'll be fun. But, of course, uh, there's uh, bigger things at hand right now. So <laughs> well, we can all sit back and enjoy that for what, and then think about the future. Absolutely. Brad, thank you for your time. Yeah. All right, Brad Ford joining us here on Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. And that's, uh, that's pretty much going to wrap this thing up. It is our National League Division Series uh, wrap-up edition of Brewers Extranings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. I'm not quite sure what the podcast schedule is going to be be looking like, to be perfectly honest with you. I had made the decision that I was going to wait to do this podcast until the series against the Rockies got over. Now, by coincidence, it got over on Sunday, so we're on our normal podcast release schedule. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to wait till after the championship series is over to do another podcast or maybe right before the championship series. I'm not real sure. But uh, just that's why you uh, should be subscribed to uh, the podcast. If you listen on Apple Podcasts or if you listen on Stitcher, wherever it might be, if you listen on one of the podcast services, subscribe to the podcast and it'll be automatically delivered to you. Of course, I'll always uh, tweet it out as well on my Twitter handle at Matt Pauly on air. Uh, my thanks to uh, Brad Ford, Brewers, and either the Dodgers or the Braves. I think it's going to be the Dodgers, but nothing official as I am recording this. Brewers hosting either the Dodgers or the Braves on Friday at Miller Park. And uh, we absolutely look forward to being able to uh, talk about that. Uh, don't forget, when the games get over on WTMJ, when the network broadcast is over, I take over with Brewers Extra Innings. We've had extended editions of Brewers Extra Innings. We'll continue to do that through the postseason. Also, if you're out of the area, and I know WTMJ has quite the reach but if uh, you are listening from uh, somewhere else, so you can't listen to uh, 620 or 103.3 FM on your radio dial, uh, while the actual Brewers game broadcast is blacked out on uh, streaming, those streaming rights are owned by Major League Baseball, so WTMJ is not allowed to stream the game. Once that network broadcast comes to an end, you are able to stream Brewers Extra Innings, so you can listen to it. Uh, at WTMJ.com on uh, various apps that have the WTMJ stream on the WTMJ mobile app as well. So if you're out of the area and want to listen to the postgame show, it is available on stream. Thanks so much for being tuned in. We look forward to talking to you again real soon for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. We are powered by WTMJ Mobile. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to a home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.